to die. She told me talk to your father, he's in the sky. Thursday, March 3rd, 2016. We are back. Gonna have content weekly. Got my brothers, Mr. Titus and Mr. David Chaplin back. Gentlemen, how are we? Road tide. <laughs> See, nothing's changed for him, huh? He's always on that road tide, too. He's sound like Will Smith in Suicide Squad, huh? Some kind of road tide, huh? Road tide. Man, ain't nobody got no time for that, man. Or as Obama said the other day, Obama. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so tonight, gentlemen, is our first pot of 2016. Got a lot going on culturally, socially, politically, so I thought we would start with... Not necessarily an easy topic, but a topic I think the three of us have a very different view on, on some different things. So tonight we're going to talk about what parts of society we think try to play God, and then we'll wrap it up with the word of the week, which is the word influence. So, Mr. Titus, let's start with you. I know, I know you probably got a lot to say these days. So, <laughs> oh, you prove me wrong, sir. Job's fired. Okay, okay. So when you hear someone say that they're trying to play God, which part of society strikes off for you? And don't don't give the easy answer and and say science. I want you to think about this. They're trying to play God. Yes, and let me set the definition for that. So that means that part of society that tries to control something that it is not meant to control. That's that's uh, just a blank. That's just a blank definition we're going to go with. Okay. Uh, I think uh, mine would be the NCAA. Okay, uh, we're going sports. Okay. Oh. Okay. I mean, we don't have to go sports, but I mean, when I the first thing that comes to mind is Mark Emmerich. Is it March Monotony? <laughs> Mark Emmerich has got to be the most corrupt person in sports, next to Roger Goodell. Um, I think those those are two people that like stick in my mind as trying to play God. This whole idea um, when it comes to NCAA that you can make money off of amateurs. But they can't make money off of their jerseys. They can't make money off of their autographs. They can't make money off of the games that they play. And then Mark Emmert and all his ADs and coaches are crying poor, saying that they don't have any money. They can't, they can't spread it out. Yet you have, play, you have coaches signing million-dollar contracts who have TV shows, commercials, radio shows, endorsement. I, I, I don't get it. And they're trying to control the lives of young people who, if they weren't student-athletes, couldn't make money while in college, working jobs, or even creating their own stuff. I mean, nobody stops a college um, student from making a great album and then making money off of that great album. So why are we stopping young people from playing the sport that they love or the sport that has become their profession why, why are we stopping them from making money? Why are we stopping them from making the means? So we could have more people graduate out of school in debt. Um, because these players, though they might have scholarships, the scholarships can be taken away. Not all of them are full, full rides. Um, let's say they, even they get full rides. If you get an injury, your scholarship is not necessarily covering your medical bills. So, and then... You could say, well, oh, well, 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 I guess it depends on your scholarship, but if you have a full scholarship, You said what? If you have a full scholarship, it definitely covers medical. Yeah, it, it covers medical all, all the way through the time that you're in the school, but when you right. get out of it, I mean, you got people dealing with, uh, you know, CTE and things like that. 
it, they're not covering it beyond that. So I'm saying we're we're in a situation right now where Mark Emery and the NCAA have have somehow bamboozled and 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 hoodwinked people into thinking that these players, uh, whether they're playing basketball or football or whatever, don't deserve to get paid. I think that's that's the first thing that come to mind when when I think of playing God and Roger Goodell. <laughs> you want to talk about reviewing videotape and not reviewing videotape, handing down fines, taking away draft picks, all of that. Roger Goodell is is, is the definition. Man, he got God in his name. Stop it. Shoot. <laughs> all right, so chap, what about you? Um. <laughs> wow. Um. I guess we're kind of. Uh, ideas out there that we'll discuss afterwards. Right? Uh, what do you mean? <clears throat> For instance, Jimmy espouses his, his uh, point of view, and I'll do mine and you do yours, and then we'll discuss, or then we'll move on. No, we'll just, just, just free flow. Just go ahead, just... We're going live, homie. Yeah, you can react with Mr. T I mean, you're the only one out of the three of us who is a college athlete, so maybe you got some insight on what it's like I to know, be. All right. So they had you running track. Go ahead. <laughs> I guess they had you my. running track. They had you running laps. I mean, I, I, I've never seen you not wear some, some form of Alabama paraphernalia, so they must have got you doing something. Yeah, well, I, I, that's a stretch. That was definitely the best dressed guy of all. Oh, my <laughs> lord. <laughs> not getting twisted. Uh, we need to vet. <laughs> but um, uh, I think one one possible counter gave me some interesting about this. And it just came to me as you were talking. Now I'm not necessarily in favor of this for anything other than maybe the major sports, basketball, football. Um, unless you're like Oregon and, and track. But um, my 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 suggestion is, what if you're an athlete who could go pro out of high school potentially if if it was allowed? And so instead of giving you a scholarship, they say, okay, you pay your own way, but you can make money however you deem necessary. So for instance, if you were, you know, a uh, guy out of LSU, or you could have went to high school, but you decided to go to LSU for whatever reason. And so now they say, Ben Simmons, uh, you can, you can you know, make money to Jersey, you can, you, can, you can do whatever you want to do, but you don't get a full scholarship. Like, you can pay for your schooling with all the money you make doing other things. What if that was an option? Nah, I mean, for, for me, for, for guys like Ben Simmons, the Chris Dunn's of the world, all of these guys, I think even the NBA has to step forward and say, go back to the 18-year-olds uh, can, can enter into the draft. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's just where it's got to go. When you're hindering people from, from making a living, um, it, 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 it does a disservice. Nobody is stopping these tech geniuses at the age of 7 and 10 years old from entering into the business. Why are, why are there parameters built in to keep uh, young, young, young kids uh, from entering into uh, a profession that they're really good at? They're right. they're le legitimately, Ben Simmons is better than half of the players in the NBA. Legitimately. Why does he have to spend a year in college? And not really take classes, and not really learn. Because your boy Emirate has rules. That's why. Exactly, because they playing God, and they got to deal with with the NBA. Yeah, but the NBA and, and Emirate aren't the hoops. It's not just Emirate. 
Yes, but I mean, okay, I could argue right back at you that he he could have gone the Brandon Jennings route and played abroad and made some money. He didn't have to go to college. That was his choice. No yeah, one but no he, one put a gun to his head and said you had got to go to LSU. He he could have gone abroad and played. But here's the thing: why should he have to go overseas when like his family is here? If you know? if the question is about using his talents to make money, he's not restricted to the borders of the United States to do so with his basketball talents. Understood, but the leagues, the leagues outside of the league, aren't as as, as stable as people think. So you know the the Chinese leagues uh, stipulations and rules aren't necessarily something he's familiar with. The the Turkey's uh, the Turkish leagues uh, rules and regulations aren't necessarily something that he's familiar with. Brandon Jennings even told of his own experience on um, playing overseas that he didn't like it. So, I mean, it's one of those things where people say, oh, yeah, well, you could go, go overseas. Yeah, that's cool and all, but you're talking about uh, an 18-year-old person going overseas without their family. A lot of these kids come from situations where, I mean, they, they have very uh, deep trust issues because they've never really been outside of their own, own pocket, their own community. And so you, you now want to put that person in an in a area, in a place where, their family, all their family might not be able to come. Maybe even one of their family may not be able to come. So, I don't know. You, you, you're telling, you're telling folks to move when they don't necessarily have to move. It's so like, you're oh, juxtaposing well. the ability to not be paid and be exploited by the NCAA with having a family network, as opposed to not having a family network but capitalizing on your earning potential. I'm saying, I'm saying they're setting it up in a way where it's like people that tell you, oh well. Um, if, if it's tough around here, well, you can always go back there. You could, you could always leave the country. Like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, I just feel like there's, there's, there's roadblocks and, 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 uh, and walls, blockades that don't need to be there. You should allow 18-year-olds to declare for the draft. If they don't, if they don't make it through to the draft, that's on them. You know, okay. they gotta make, they gotta make wise decisions. No, I mean, I, I don't understand, like... If a if a if a fifteen year old can start a tech company and make millions and people talking about these kids they can't handle money. I know grown people that can't handle money. That are in debt with loans. So what are we talking about? What are we talking about here? I think it's just nonsense. It's it's is a it's a false rhetoric that people kinda like start believing in because they keep hearing it over and over again. Give I get it. I mean, I mean, trust me, I, I'm in favor of African pain because I, I got my hand uh, laid a little bit. So I was, um, but for it to be legal and all that. But again, for the, for the smaller schools, we don't have any star athletes. The D2 schools, the D3 schools, the NAIA, how can they compete when you have a flood of money coming to Michigan, Alabama, um, you know, Penn State? For athletes to come to this school with, with, with you know, getting their like boosters are, you know, paying anything to, get, to make sure this athlete comes. Well, to no, I, I, can, I, you I can think it, it kind of it kind of breaks the system in favor of other schools. I, I think not having the money kind of forces uh, these teenagers to make a little more wise of a choice. If you know I'm going to Alabama, I'm going to school. I know I'm not going. I know I'm not getting rich off of this, but I can go here grind to my passion and, um, you know, uh, not stars, even though some of them aren't stars. I don't know how, I don't, I don't know how some 
I consider starters. I mean, I have four rides, and the the the, um, the stipend that I got combined with the other additives, the SEC benefits that I got combined with the the um, the uh, what do you call it, the food plan that I that I had, the meal plan that I had. Like, I didn't starve. I mean, it was kind of that I was hungry, but that was because I decided not to go to the, uh, that month. I decided not to use my meal plan. I decided to collect my check in hand. You know what I'm saying? Because they give you the option of being on a full meal plan or a partial meal plan. If you're on a partial meal plan, your stipend is larger. No, but see, I, I mean, yes, you were not starving as an athlete, but that's not the point. The point is that and, and the I was system. Using, using the money they gave me to, uh, to pay for. You know, cell phone costs, pay, pay, but send money. No, no, no. I, I understand that the school is helping you with money. Grandma, but I'm not star I'm like, I had excess. Right, but I mean, the way the system is set up is that the school takes care of that kind of stuff, and anything else, you're on your own. But the school turns around and will use your likeness to when, ad when advertising. I mean, you can go look up how the college football video game is no longer in production because the players won their lawsuit. And EA Sports provides they're going to have to start paying the players for the work that they were putting in to get the game actually made, and they stopped doing that. So the point is that the system is set up so that if you are a college athlete playing one of the you know major sports, which we know are football and basketball, even though there are a slew of others, those are the two that pull in the most money in terms of revenue every year. If you just look at the players there, and they're always on television, you know, like their jerseys are made every year. I mean, the money that Mr. Titus is talking about that the players are, are being stopped from earning. I mean, yes, you as a, as a track star at Alabama were not starving, but how many other people around you can also say that? And, and just on a big picture level, how many college athletes in general have spending money that, that they can just go to? I mean, you're spending probably what? Maybe 45, almost half your time working on your craft because that's what the school is, you know, supporting you to do. And then you're spending the rest of the other half, you know, trying to get an education. So when do you really have time to work? You and, and here's the thing about the... I, I, I just don't know the, 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 the need to work. Like, what am I buying? What am I paying for that but I need to work here, Here's the thing. Like, I, I didn't have any help. My mom and dad, nobody was giving me any money. I was all provided for my scholarship and fighting. But, I mean, you're asking what, what else would you want? I mean, as a college student, I mean, you might want to do it all. I mean, I know I was, uh, when I was in graduate school, I was doing a job at the Syracuse stage, um, uh, basically being on call there. I was doing the radio job. I was also writing. I was running my own website and everything like that. It's just because that's what you want to do, either to put more money in your pocket or just to just to be able to uh Okay. I hear what you're saying. You're saying it's not based on the fact that they need it. It's based on the fact that they, if they want it, they should have access. Right. To We're options. not talking about need. We're talking about just the opportunity to earn. Exactly. Oh, okay. Okay. Exactly. And, I, and, I, and, I would, and I would agree, and I would say the only reason why it's blocking is because of control. Yes. The point yes. Mr. Titus was making is that yes. why should I, college athletes be stopped from having the chance to make money when everyone around them is also doing it? It's not a matter and, of... No. And they're making money off of them. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's not that Mark Emmerich, look, Mark Emmerich want to talk about their student athletes, students first. Ask Mark Emmerich, okay? If anybody meets Mark Emmerich, if, if he's really bold about this and real about this, ask him what is Ben Simmons' major. 
and what did he average on his GPA? If it's truly about student first, he should know that. And that's the, that's the number one player in the nation. Tell me what his major is and tell me what his grade point average is without looking it up. Okay, but his, I mean, when you're a freshman and you know you're going to be there for two semesters, what difference does it make what major you have? No, no, no. I'm saying Mark Emmert. This is not the responsibility of Ben Simmons. This is the responsibility of Mark Emmert and all the people that talk about these guys are student athletes first. If they're student athletes first, I should know more about them as a student than I do no, about no. I hear you, but what freshman declares their major and knows exactly what they want to do? Okay, what, a, what? Then give me their GPA. Okay, that that's that's a different issue. But talking okay. about their talking about their major, I mean, to be now, speaking, how about speak, this? More people know what Ben Simmons averaged per game. More people know what he rebounds per game. More people know like what his deficiencies in his game are compared to what he does in the classroom. That's not a student athlete. Uh, is David getting evicted? What's that? Why is that? Um, so, the point you're making, Mr. Titus, is that people know his stats sports-wise, and you want people to know his stats education-wise because the word student comes before athlete. But, I mean, don't his stats matter more for his earning potential either way? I mean, yeah, but you can't, as Mark Emery puts it, you can't say he's a student first and then say, okay, well, what makes, what makes him what he is is his earning potential on the court. Then he's an athlete. Then he's a professional. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. That's why I said they're playing God. Period. Okay. You, you want to sell me on the student athlete, then... Pay the coaches the same rate that you pay professors. Well, that's that's a different issue, and I, I think that there should be no comparison between what a college coach earns compared to a, a tenured professor. I mean, that's. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, you could even go look, you could even go deeper than that. The athletes to students. So why can't we compare the coaches to professors? That's a very. I mean. If you if you really, if you really if you really want to make that comparison, you also have to take into account the, the time that the coach spends actually doing work and, and recruiting versus against if you're a professor, how often are you writing books? How many classes are you teaching? How many students are you working with? Do you have a clinic that you run? There's a whole bunch of there's a whole host of things you have to take into account. Now, if you're if you're just looking at the salary, yes, I'm sure that there's a tremendous imbalance, but you have to consider what goes into the job. I'm saying hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. They're equally let's doing hard work. Oh, well, My dad was a professor. Hold on, okay. Jim. Let's think economics, right? Let, let's talk about supply and demand, mm -hmm. right? Let's say, let's say there's how many universities are there, right? There's like let's let's, give, let's, let's say a hundred universities. No, just just pick one conference. Pick the the okay, AC, pick the ACC for example, okay? Oh, any I mean, conference. Let's say there's just yeah. Let's choose, let's choose the Big Ten. Okay. All okay. Right. There's, there's twelve teams in that conference, right? Mm -hmm. Schools, you mean? Schools, you mean? Yeah, schools. <laughs> <laughs> schools, you mean? Yeah. I'm trying, guys. See, see. Anyway. And so, my point is, you have in terms of supply and demand. You need, you want the best coach in the country to come to your team. You have, so you have an unlimited number of potential people who can apply for that job. But you only have twelve positions available. There's, there's like how many, how many. Professors are there on a campus? 
way more. So in terms of supply and demand, you don't have to pay them as much because the demand for that particular professor may not be that high. And, and you also have to take into account that there are so many situations where a college coach will be working in a situation under a contract and they'll just get out of it and take a better offer for, for more money. Or they'll be fired if it's a bad season. Right. Yeah, I mean, that too. I mean, it, if you're a professor and you're fired for something, the chances of you getting another job tenure, quickly... You can't, you can't be fired. What, what do you mean? Unless you, like, kill somebody. Yeah, no, no, I'm saying, okay, if you're fired for some reason, there aren't people lining up, or, you know, you're not going to have another teaching position at the same level anytime soon. But, but if you're a coach and you're fired, I mean, like, just look at the, the NBA. There's coaches who are getting fired left and right, and then they have people having, you know, re replacements right away. And these guys who get fired, they, you know, they go into broadcasting, or they go into scouting, reporting, or they go become an assistant coach somewhere. I mean, the... The availability of work there, you're not you're not really on the bench for that long. But as a professor, you get fired. I mean, your work may be called into account, your reputation, your character. There's a whole, whole host of things that 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 goes into that. Well, I think it's a fair it's a fair analogy, and I would I would argue the best professor at University of Alabama, you know, shouldn't get paid anywhere near. What Nick Saban gets paid to bring in how many millions of dollars to that institution? Because how much money is a professor bringing into the school? Okay, but see, is the point to bring in money or is the point to educate and teach and mentor? Well, let's well, not be naive. We understand that these schools are businesses and they're trying to market their brand and they want to increase in enrollment. They want to make their school very selective so they want to increase the number of applicants. You know what I'm saying? So, and so all, all that, all that, all that plays into it. Like you, as you know, Michigan, when you know the Big Ten, their enrollment number, their enrollment applications go up. Right. No, that's true. But the what I'm getting at is that when you're a professor and you're hired, you're not hired to, you know, make money. You're hired to write papers and bring the reputation of the school up so people want to come and attend, so they can make money off tuition. But when you're a college coach, it's your, I mean, like, it's written incentives into your contract verbatim, you know. If you win the big championship game, you get $10 million. I mean, that's as clear-cut, I mean, like, professors don't have those kind of reward-based incentives that uh, coaches do. Well, I guess, how do you measure, um, uh, like, for instance, if, you, if, you're, if you're at Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt's known for, no, you're at UGA, and UGA's known for forestry. But you're the best professor in the Southeastern Conference in history, right? And you write the best, you know, dissertation or the best book that every school in the nation buys. How much does that actually add to the school whose main focus is forestry? Well, that's an interesting point because, as we know, in sports, it's easy to find out how much coaches are making or how much a player is making if they're a pro. But... For academics, sometimes it's difficult to look up and find out who is, I'm sorry, or what professors are making because it's just not really in the public domain, which leads me to what the topic I wanted to talk about with playing God, and that's, that, that's the media. I mean, going to Mr. Titus's point about why Mark Emmerich doesn't know or wouldn't know what Ben Simmons' GPA is, it's because it's not put on our radar. I mean, it has no value to 
anybody. And the media is a problem. And Mr. Titus, I'm sure you have plenty to talk about this because you are working as a journalist. But I think that... Tell me how they like that. Because it's the truth, man. You ask me questions all the time. I'm like, what the heck? So I think the, the big problem we have with the media trying to play God is that they have an agenda. I mean, and it, it, it depends on where you go look. Because some places are good at not making themselves look as, as objective as they should. But I think that certain media outlets have an agenda. And you can't even call it journalism anymore. It's just propaganda. I mean, the stories that come out and just the content and even just the quality of the story. Sometimes I'll click on articles and the headline will say, you know, person X did B. And then I'll open the article up and it'll have two sentences and then a tweet. And I'm like, this is journalism? Like, what? like it, they're just dumbing, dumbing the population down to basically nothing when you think about what people know. I mean, I was talking to somebody at work the other day just about what's going on with our election cycle. And I said, you know, how many people who go vote could name all 50 states and, and, and to be able to follow all, all the primaries? I mean, that's just, it, it blows my mind to think about this type, the types of stories that are written. And then you can look at, you know, people who are censored, just like uh, former MSNBC uh, show host Melissa Harris-Perry, who basically lost her show for having really the only real place, in my opinion, on the uh, airwaves that was, it was a space for, you know, black people to talk about issues. And she was, did it in a very savvy and classy manner. And not really sure what happened, but it was taken out. And you have to wonder, you know, that the space for that discussion was taken away. Well, so, I think uh, Don Lemon also has a similar uh, segment. Yeah, but he, he says some stuff sometimes, and I'm like, it's just Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, uh, Who did yeah. he say? He said he said Don Lemon was similar to well, Melissa Harris Perry. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, trust me, I, I have my Don Lemon quirks too, but he's still there, and he sometimes, you know, I would say he's fifty-fifty ways that they give him. No, in my opinion, he's just there because they need a, a darker face to talk about stuff. That's that's my opinion of, of, of why he's still there. I don't know how dark he is. Well, he's he's. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, in, in in terms of the media being a. Uh, Playing God. I mean, it's, it's, it's real. It's real. I work in the industry, and I can tell you that uh, it's a racist industry. It's an industry that uh, feel that it's it's okay to be intrusive. It's okay to to have a viewpoint and push an agenda. Now there is this uh, this whole uh, idea of and, and, and sort of like purist ideal of being fair and balanced, but it doesn't exist um, because you don't have diverse newsrooms. You you go to major networks and you don't see diversity. I mean, in terms of gay people, in terms of uh, culturally, I mean, indigenous people, black people, Asian people. Uh, there's no way you can have fear and balance if your newsroom looks majority white and majority male. Period. So how are you telling stories accurately? How can you properly report about sexual assaults? How can you properly report about race and culture, classism? I mean, these are the things that uh, the media doesn't want to talk about, but it's really hampering people's trust because who's writing the stories? White males are writing the stories about Black Lives Matter. 
Think about it. In this election cycle, where black women are considered one of the most important voting groups, you have two black women don't, that don't have a show now. That's a problem. And these, these women are the foremost um, thoughts and, and, and thinkers and, and basically uh, pun, um, pundits and analysts when it comes to the political arena. So what is going on? I have I have great issues with it, and one of the troubling things is to speak out is to be blackballed and blacklisted, and being black I mean it's a double is it's like a double challenge, you know you're black and you can't speak your mind, and if you try to speak your mind, you're either gonna come off looking like a caricature of yourself because you try so hard to to connect with your with your base. Or you end up being fired because you keep it too real. Here's, here's one of the toughest things about being a, a black journalist. Is that we're told to speak truth to power. But we'll never talk about the racism in the industry within journalism. Think about it. Okay. There is downright racism in this industry. So what do you think needs to change besides of, from the fact that there needs to be different uh, voices in the newsroom itself in terms of the people actually producing the content itself? Because obviously the more background and experiences you have, the more perspectives and honestly the more creative and the more you know, well-rounded the work will be. So what do you think will happen? Uh, I think it will continue to be racist. But I think... Uh the, the blessing of today's world is that uh, you, you have things like Twitter, you have things like social media that allow, and, and the internet that allow people to have their own platform. But the problem with this is still, within that construct, you have Twitter, which is basically ran by white males. You have Facebook, which is basically ran by white males. And um, even Mark Zuckerberg was talking about his employees, like crossing out Black Lives Matter um, on the wall that they were like basically signing and, and, and things of that nature. So it's not going to change until black people, uh, Asian people, uh, people dealing with handicaps, people of different uh, sexual orientations become industry leaders as opposed to just workers in the industry. Chap, any thoughts? I think... Uh, mean last point is the point I would I would expand upon which is access. I think the you know, the doors of access are being brought down through um, through social media, the blogosphere, podcast. More people are, are not using the major outlets as as, more, as often. So we have the, the disability, the LGBTQ, the um, the, the 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 black conservative, the black liberal, the, the female, you know what I mean, conservative, female liberal. You have all these different perspectives and opportunities to hear different uh, opinions. But I, I still agree at the transition isn't happening quick enough. But I think it, it's the fact that it's happening. You couldn't say this even ten years ago regarding the major news networks and how to quote unquote check them. I think the check on them is the fact that they can't control the zeitgeist, the changing times, culture, how social media is making their industry less less relevant. 
Very good. So we're in the last section, so let's jump hold in. Hold on, Yeah, go my, ahead. my last piece of God-like sectors of our society are, uh, this is an easy one that I won't use. Because <laughs> you said don't use these, you said don't call, call don't talk about science, but I'm just talking about doctors. Um, but the one that came to mind was, and give me, I appreciate this, pastors. Ah, okay. Shots fired. Proceed. Uh-oh. Let's go. Pastors, pastors, priests, clergy, all the clergymen. I mean, the fact that people look to them as the voice of God and, and forget the fact that these people are human, these people have laws, people have personalities, outside of their profession. And people forget that just like just like NBC, just like CNN, just like Fox, pastors and clergy also insert their opinion into the text and they sway the congregation accordingly. So in terms of people's faith, people's commitment, people's understanding and perspective, uh, walk off. That is somehow and often hampered by either church culture or pastor clergy leadership. And uh, there's just there's many ways to go with that, but I think you guys get the point. No, I I definitely agree. And I think that if you're just talking about the pulpit as a forum to not only you know talk about the Word of God on Sundays, but there's so much there in terms of getting people to tithe, keeping people scared. I mean, I think there's a big issue, especially in the black community, where, you know, let's say, you know, a family is, you know, a marriage is not going well, and, you know, the husband comes to the pastor and says, you know, I'm having trouble at home, you know, can you recommend a therapist? And then the pastor will say, you know, just, just, just go pray on it. Go home and go pray on it. Even if they happen to be in a situation where they may be, being abused or they're just, you know, they're not happy. The pastor will just say, you know, just just go pray on it instead of realizing that there may be something, there may be something else at play that is larger than what's actually going on on the surface. And I think you're, you're talking about how they're looked on, they're looked at as leaders. Some people will take that for face value and just run with it say, well, you know, the pastor said to go home and pray on it, so that's all I need to do because he's a pastor and that came straight from God. So... I think that's a very, very salient point about having a, having a position of power and, you know, using it just because you know that people are going to believe what you say just because of where you are and the title that you have. Yeah. So that we're in the, we're in the last section, fellas. Let's get into the word of the day. The word is influence. And I'll, true to form, let's jump right to Webster and get the, de the definition. The power to change or affect someone or something the power to cause changes without directly forcing them to happen. A person or thing that affects someone or something in an important way. So, Mr. Titus, when you hear the word influence, what, what's something maybe today that happened to you where you saw influence happening? Today, that I saw influence happening, I was at the uh, law enforcement center. Uh, I cover crime down here in Abilene, Texas. The newspaper Abilene Reporter News, and uh, I usually go to the courthouse, go to the 
uh, law enforcement center to check out, uh, you know, court documents and also police reports. So I was in the um, law enforcement center, the Abilene Police Department side, looking through the police records and looking for a specific incident that occurred uh, that involves a, a major politician um, that's running for a major national position. I'll leave it at that. Um, and and has a very good chance of, of getting that seat. Anyway, I was looking for a specific incident that occurred with this person being involved. And there was a woman to my left. There's a wall that separates uh, one window from the next window. And she was overhearing me ask uh, the clerk, the dispatch lady there at the police station, about the incident because it couldn't it wasn't coming up initially and I didn't really know like what they called it in as whether it was a domestic disturbance or whatever so anyway next thing I know um, I had to use the name of the person to get the incident um, that I wanted and the person that's on the other side of the wall to my left she peeks over and she's like don't do what you're about to do. And I'm like, huh? White lady. Um, older lady. And I'm, and I'm just looking at her like, what does that mean? I was, so I, I said to her, I, I don't know what you're talking about. She was like this, um, who do you work for? I mean, in my back of my mind, I'm like, okay, first of all, I don't know you. But whatever. I, I, I usually try to not overreact in situations. So I said my name is, you know, Titus Follow-June, and I work for the Abilene Reporter News, right? Extended my hand, shook her hand, everything. She didn't tell me who she was. So I found that funny. Um, but she was telling me, like, don't do what you're about to do. And she kept repeating it over and over again while I was there looking at the incident. And then as, as I'm walking out, because I'm done reviewing uh, the information, she's like, I hope you don't write what I think you're going to write. And I'm like, you like, be nice. And I'm like, I'm, I, I don't, I'm just puzzled by it, you know, why, why she would say that. It happened to me again as I go to the courthouse and one of the clerks there is upset about a story that's coming out on Sunday because it's going to make her, it's going to force her to do her job. God forbid, right? And so I'm just looking at it like that's how I saw influence working in my day today was two people telling me how I should go about doing what I do because it might hurt them or it might hurt the person that they care about. But it's because it doesn't favor them or it doesn't favor the person that I'm talking uh, that, that that they're connected to so I have issue with that because that's not my job my job is to report the truth and do I have a human aspect a Christian aspect to what I do indeed but when people are telling you how to write and what to write it really it does a disservice because I'm like I start to think, like, why do they feel, why do they feel so comfortable in saying that to me? When they know, or they may not know who I am.
Is it because I'm black? Is it because of something else? But yeah, that's how I saw influence working in my in my day today. Chap. Um, if we're eliminating uh, the word of the week to how it, uh, I guess, resonated with us today, I would say, as a labor attorney, with the Syracuse, but influence play out in terms of uh, it was an arbitration that I handled last November, and we're waiting on a procedural decision from the arbitrator. So clearly, his decision influences how we go forward procedurally um, at the arbitration on the merits. So his decision pretty much was as we thought it would be, but it also changes how we proceed in terms of what evidence we need to present, how we need to present it, um, and things of that nature. And, and obviously, his decision carries precedent. So moving forward, uh, arbitrations that have similar procedural uh, issues, this is it is the case of birth impression, this is now the standard. So <laughs> understanding what it means and how it will impact future cases to make sure that we don't kept ourselves in a similar situation to be uh, hamstrung by the decision. That's interesting. So <clears throat> mine is much more simple. So I've seen this happen a lot, but today it really resonated with me because I actually stopped and just watched it with the whole situation unfold. So I live I live in Washington DC and you know as you can imagine living here I, I do quite a bit of walking and that means crossing streets and paying attention to you know street lights and traffic. And so I'm on my way to work this morning and I'm crossing my street to go to walk to the metro and the light is green but there's no cars coming either way and the hand signal is telling me that I should not walk. And there's about five people in front of me who are standing at the signal and not looking at the light, which is about to turn red, but looking at the hand signal. The light turns red. The hand signal does not change. You can see on both sides of the street there are no cars coming. So I look both ways and I just start walking because the light's red. And as soon as I stepped into the street and I took two steps, I heard all five people follow me. They, they had not moved before I showed up, but they moved after I showed up. Now, the hand signal did not give the, uh, it did not change from the orange-yellow symbol from stop to the white to walk. So about, I, got, I got about halfway through the street. But these five people had not moved until I decided to think for myself and not pay attention to the signal itself. So I thought that was interesting because, you know, there's little things that can happen. Like, for example, if I'm waiting for the metro and, you know, on every car it'll say, you know, don't crowd the doors, don't eat on the train, and, you know, no loud, you know, no loud music. And every car people crowd around the doors. But if one person says something, you know, please move back, please get out of the way, everyone moves like they're drones. So I find it interesting that it takes just one little thing for other people to follow what you are doing. Just just one little spark, and I think that's very interesting. And so, relating to what the two of you just said, it seems like, for Mr. Titus, for you, you know, people were telling you not to do something when they, they did not know who you were, they didn't know what your job was, they didn't even know why you're doing what you were doing. 
but they were still trying to elicit a behavior out of you for some ends that we that, that we don't know. And I find that interesting because when we relate it back to the definition of the word, it's the power to change or affect something or someone. So when I cross the street, I didn't think to myself that I had the power to change the, the behavior of the people who were going to follow me. But I'm willing to bet that the person who told you, Mr. Titus, don't write that, they already thought that they had the power over you to affect a certain result, which I find mind-boggling because they did not know you. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the troubling thing, man. But, I mean... It's called privilege. It's pro it, it, it is. And that's what's, um, that's what's in the industry, and that's what's, you know, sadly in this world. And specifically, like, indigenous instances is white privilege. It's this understanding, like, oh, I could just tell anybody, you know, um, a piece of my mind, and they're they supposed to obey. It's like, nah, it doesn't work out that way. Um, because if I was to told them what they needed to do in their lives, they'll, they'll give me a double take. Um, so I, I have issue with it because it, it's not, it's not, it's not the way things should be, but whatever. Well, not, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's an interesting thing to consider with, with where we are socially, politically, and culturally today, but I, I'm sure we will cover the word privilege on a later podcast. <laughs> Uh, gents, we are out of time this evening. Thanks for coming back, and we will try. We, to we out of time. We ain't never out of time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We are. The <laughs> hey, I ain't even get to use any of my best quotes. Man. Uh, well, I hey, like... man. Listen, man. You tagged me in so many damn tweets. You got come on. Stop. Stop it. Stop it. David doesn't even tweet anymore. I know. Must have I know. But we'll we'll cover privilege at, at a later podcast. You guys, give it not tweeting. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll cover that in a later podcast I, when I, Chap I gets his privilege here. to get an iPhone. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ever uh, since he became an attorney, he changed up. I, I stopped tweeting before I got life on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jets. Have a good evening. All right, All right peace. Father. They say everything you go through in life. Makes life worth living.